0: Well, we are going to look at Psalm 91 tonight. I want you to turn there. Always when I finish a series, we were in Titus for weeks. Always when I finish a series, I seek the Lord. You say, Pastor, do you pick what you want to preach? No, I don't. And I never want to preach what I want to preach. Do you not care? (laughs) Uh, You always want to hear what the Lord has to say. Be careful when it's the opinions of man. Be careful when it's the topics that man picks. Because you know what? Our words will all fall to the ground. But God's word never falls to the ground. So God's word and his timing in the right season at the right time by the Holy Spirit is one of the most powerful things we can know. Uh, So we're in Psalm 91. I'm just going to give you a little introduction here. One of the members of our church who moved... uh, out of New Yorkistan into a free state, uh, sent me a book, Sister Andrea, some of you know her, on Psalm 91, the military edition, God's shield of protection. I'm going to read some excerpts out of here during this series and this study, some powerful stuff. So let's thank God for the word tonight. Let's uh, just get ready to drink it in and open up Psalm 91. Father, tonight we thank you that we are your children, that we could worship you with all our hearts and all our strength and all our mind and we can enter into your presence thank you lord that we can feel your presence that you're a tangible god that you're just not a bunch of words or a bunch of talk or a bunch of theories we can feel you we can feel your touch holy spirit speak to us tonight and open psalm 91 up to us as we cover it lord verse by verse Show us the truth and the depth of what's here for us. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this psalm has been an anchor and an encouragement to so many throughout the ages who found God's peace and protection as they find themselves in harm's way. Now, all throughout Scripture, you'll notice as you study Israel's history, as you study the history of the church, even in the days we live in, as they get a little bit more hostile towards the gospel, even in the West here, there's a need for God's children to enjoy God's protection. There's a need for God's children to know that he's watching over us. We're not orphans. We're not tossaways. We're not forgotten children. God is watching over his church. And Psalm 91 is a psalm that has been an encouragement to people who find themselves in harm's way because it is a clear... uh, It is a clear reminder that God is protecting us. Now, I'm going to ask Kim to read Psalm 91 to you, and she's going to read it from down there. Just listen to it. We're only going to cover one verse tonight, but listen to the whole thing in its entirety.
1: He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I will trust. and ten thousand at your right hand Mm. but it shall not come near you only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked because you have made the lord who is my refuge even the most high your dwelling place no evil shall befall you nor shall any plague come near your dwelling for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation.
0: Powerful, powerful reminder of God's faithfulness, God's protection. For those who go in harm's way, uh, we can be assured that God protects us. Now, Bible scholars don't agree over who wrote Psalm 91. The majority of Bible scholars believe that Moses penned it. Others believe King David wrote Psalm 91. Now, since the Bible doesn't denote authorship, we can't know for sure. But either Moses or David will do, you know, because both of those guys were in serious situations where they needed God's divine protection. Amen. You don't lead a million people at your back to a sea and, and Pharaoh's army coming down with all its chariots and not understand the protection of God when you cross on dry ground and get to the other side. Amen. Uh, Moses was in so many situations where he needed God's divine protection. Think of all the times he went before Pharaoh. And I mean, at any moment, Pharaoh had the power to just snuff his life out with a word. But he went in the boldness of the Lord and the protection of the Lord. And God protected him, protected the children of Israel. David, we know David's story running from Saul, dodging spears, hiding in caves. David knew the protection of the Lord. He saw God's hand upon him. He escaped death many, many times. He went into battle many, many times. And the Lord kept him and was faithful to him. If you think about all of what Psalm 91 says, both David and Moses, these verses apply to perfectly. Now, those in the military have long held to Psalm 91 as a psalm of protection and the, and the verses as a comfort to them. In the book, Psalm 91, God's Shield of Protection by Ruth and Schum, uh, there is a story about an army lieutenant uh, who was in World War II. He was from Pennsylvania, and it's perhaps the most literal reminder that Psalm 91 is a psalm of protection. I want to read you this story. One particular story that illustrates this remarkable protection most vividly was a Pennsylvania lieutenant who was accidentally discovered by the enemy while carrying out a very secret mission. He was immediately spotted by the enemy, and he placed himself in God's hands. The only prayer he could get out of his mouth is, Lord, it's up to you now. And the enemy shot him at point blank in the chest and knocked him flat on his back. Thinking he was dead, his buddy grabbed his carbine out of his hand and paired it with his own and began blasting away with both guns. When he had finished, there was no enemies left standing. Later, the lieutenant's sister in Pennsylvania got a letter relating this amazing story. The force of the bullet in his chest had only stunned her brother. Without thinking, he reached for where the wound should be, but instead he felt the Bible he had placed in his pocket. Putting Pulling it out, he saw an ugly hole in the cover. The Bible he carried had shielded his heart. The bullet had ripped through Genesis, Exodus, and kept going through book after book until it stopped in the middle of Psalm 91 and like a finger pointed to verse 7, which reads, "A 1,000 will fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you. The lieutenant said, I didn't know that such a verse existed in the Bible, but I'm so thankful to God for it. I did not realize this protection existed, but the Lord supernaturally revealed it to me. Perhaps your protection may not manifest itself so dramatically as it did the army lieutenant, but your promise in Psalm 91 is just as reliable. You see, the word covers us. It protects us. It's not like a magic scroll or it's not like some kind of mystical thing. It's just that God, by his word, when, he, uh, when we are right with him, when we're walking with him, when we're in a relationship with him, he covers us and protects us. Think about pulling that Bible out of your pocket and seeing the hole in it. I mean, I hope it was a thick Bible, right? You know, carry those little skinny New Testaments. From now on, I'm going to carry my big Thompson chain, King James. I'm going to... But God pointed at that verse to remind this man that he was with him, that he would protect him. In times of confusion and fear and uncertainty, God's people need to be reminded that he protects us. Dear saints, I want you to know the protection of God is over your life. And you can rest in that and rest in him. Yes, we need to take up the shield of faith. Yes, we need to wield the sword of the spirit. We need to do everything we need to do to put on the full armor of God. But our confidence should not be in those things. Well, I'm really good with the shield. I'm really good with the sword. I got a big mouth. I can quote a lot of verses. Our protection doesn't come from our skill and our ability or our performance. It comes from the word of God. And so our confidence should be in the word of God. Now, Psalm 91 begins with a a declaration, and I want to just read you verse one, and that's all we're going to cover tonight. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The first place we're going to stop here is at the word dwells, he who dwells. Listen, our access, our safety, and our protection to the uh, promises of God hinge on where we choose to live. Are we going to live in the world and bow to its system? Are we going to live for our flesh and bow to the desires of our flesh? Or are we going to be kingdom people and live for the kingdom of God? Where is your dwelling place tonight? Where have you chosen to dwell? Now, it's not lip service. You can't say, oh, well, I choose to. Listen, it's in the practical reality of how we live every day. Are we carnal? Are we worldly? Are we so tied into the world system that we can't even hear God tell us something different? Our dwelling, where we choose to live, makes all the difference on how we attract the favor and the protection of God to our lives. As you read the rest of the psalm here, we're only going to cover one verse, but you're going to see it's about relationship. It's about being connected. It's about uh, being a right with God so that the blessing of God flows upon us and the protection of God covers us, amen? I don't know about you, but in this day and age, with all that's going on, I don't want to be on shaky ground with God. I don't want to be half in and half out of the kingdom. I don't want to be more carnal and worldly than I am spiritual and spirit-filled, come on. And it's all about where we choose to dwell, our dwelling place, John 17, 14 through 16 says this, I have given them your word, Jesus speaking, and the world hates them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Christians have paraphrased John 17, and we say things to the extent that we're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. How many have said that and heard that? It's not in the Bible, so it's just a paraphrase of the principle of you, some of you look shocked. It's not in there. But it, it's, it's this idea in John 17 that we're, you know, we're not supposed to be worldly. Jesus said, I want you to take them out of the world. Why? Because we're the only hope that the world has. But our dwelling place can't be here. Our hearts can't be here. Our affections can't be rooted here. We are just passing through. We're of a different kingdom where is your dwelling place tonight we're to be in the world but not of it believers have to come out of the world system this is a sometimes this is hard to understand and it's even harder to execute but i want you to understand that we are not to be so tied into the world system that we can't hear the things of the kingdom we get Out of the world, we reject the sinful appetites and agendas of the world. We separate ourselves, and we give ourselves to God as servants in his kingdom. You and I are servants of the kingdom of God. It's not that we're a nationality, or we're an ethnicity, or we're a skin color, or you know we're American, or we're Brazilian, or we're Italian. No, we are of the kingdom of God. And until we understand that, we're not going to have our dwelling place right. Now, it's okay to be thankful for your country. It's okay to be thankful, you know, for your ethnicity. It's it's okay to be thankful for all of those things. I'm thankful for all that stuff. But I am a citizen of heaven and part of the kingdom of God first. And we need to be. That's how we secure our dwelling place. That's how we effectuate the the paraphrase of being in the world but not of it. Now, 2 Corinthians 6.17 says, Therefore, Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Did you hear that? He's calling his people to come out of the world system. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. See, this matter of defining our dwelling place, our citizenship, where our heart really is, is super important. Why? Because if we are in the world, we're going to love the things of the world. Come on. If we're we're so tangled up in the world system, we're going to get fleshly, and we're going to want to satisfy the desires of our flesh. This is not like high-level Christianity. This is Christianity 101. It's just that the Western church didn't graduate kindergarten. And we've got to understand, we are not citizens of this world We're citizens of heaven. We need to come out from the world. We need to be separate. There are some things that we shouldn't participate in. You know, there are some things that we shouldn't touch. Look what it says. Touch not the unclean thing, amen? You say, well, what is that? I'm not going to tell you. The Holy Spirit will tell you what's unclean for you, amen? There's certain things I can do that you can't do. There's certain things you can do that I can't do. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, amen? Amen? So we want a list. Give us a list. Tell us what to do. Tell us what. No, that's not relationship. Amen. The Holy Spirit teaching us not to touch the unclean things. Now, if we want God to be our dwelling place, if we want him to be our covering, our shelter, if we want him to protect us in the storms of life, you know, how do we do that? Well, you just keep reading here in this verse one. It says he who dwells in the secret place of the most high. I want you to Say that word, secret place. Say it again, secret place. One more time, nice and loud, secret place. Amen, I want that word imprinted in your spirit because you and I need to understand what the secret place is, how to find one, and how to get in there and dwell in the secret place. If we want God to be our shelter, our covering, our protection in crisis, in calamity, in storm, we have got to know about the secret place. He who dwells in the secret place. Now, if we're to come out of the turbulence that's all around us in the world, the only way to get into the place of dwelling in the secret place is through intimacy. We can't have a casual, kind of disconnected, theoretical relationship with God. We can't just have a factual, theological, you know, uh, mental concept of Jesus. We have got to know him. Got to be able to hear his voice and obey it and know when it's him talking and another voice that we shouldn't listen to. Come on. And all of that stuff is born in the place of intimacy. Without a relationship, we cannot expect to gain entrance into God's dwelling place, no matter how brutal the storms of life are. Come on, God, let me in. It's really crazy out here. I'm scared. That's not the way we get into the dwelling place. There was a time when I was in Bible college, I was coming home with a friend, and we were coming home from Rochester, and we had another young lady with us that we needed to drop off, and there was a huge snowstorm. And I mean, the snow was piling up on the road. I think I was driving a Subaru at the time. I wasn't a hippie, but it was cool to drive a Subaru back then. And I'm driving this thing, and I'm plowing through the snow, and I get the girl dropped off, and I get my other buddy dropped off, and then I'm trying to make it home, and I can't. The snow is so deep, there's trucks stuck on the side of the road. Finally, I I can't go any further, and I realize I'm within just a a mile of my friend Fred's house. This is Fred Monks. And, you know, I I park my car on the side of the road. I lock it down. I turn it off. I hike through the snow. I get to Fred's house, and I knock on the door, and they open the door, and they see Frosty the Snow Pastor. I got snow here. I got my eyebrows are like this. They're just snow everywhere. I'm half frozen. And they look at me, and they're like. And immediately, they let me in. You say, why did they let you in? Because I had a relationship with them. If I would have knocked on any other door, I would still be in a snowbank waiting for the spring thaw. But they knew me. They knew. I mean, is it crazy? I mean, they might not have even recognize me. They might have had to chip away some stuff. But, oh, that's Ricky. Yeah, I'll bring him inside. You see, it's relationship that gains you entrance. It's relationship with Jesus Christ that gains you entrance. You know, that scripture that talks about the wedding feast and the, the, the virgins that weren't ready and they're banging on the door, let us in, let us in, and I, I don't know you. That's a sobering thing to think about. That people could sit in church, they could sit under the word, they could worship along with us and and, and get you know, to the place where they breathe their last breath and figure out that they never developed a relationship with Jesus. Could you imagine hearing, I don't know you? We all want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. None of us want to hear, who are you? What was your name again? You're not on the list. So it's the relationship that gives us intimacy. You know, I want to say something about the bullet hole Bible story we all enjoyed just a few minutes ago. That Bible that was in the lieutenant's pocket that shielded his heart, that's an anomaly. It's, a, it's something that God did one time. It's not something that we should pattern. It's not exactly how divine protection works. You know, the world loves things like the superstition, ceremony, rituals, rites, scripted prayers and pledges and creeds. You know, just say the magic prayer, say the magic words, recite the creed, say amen in the right spots. Look, but enjoying God's favor and His grace and His protection is not about symbolism, it's about substance. The world loves symbolism, but Jesus is all about substance. The substance of having a real relationship with Him. Now, remember, I've said all this in prepping you to understand what the secret place is, the type of relationship. I'm talking about happens in a very unique place, and the psalmist called it the secret place. This is the place where intimacy with God is forged, in the secret place. Now, I want to give you three reasons why it's a secret place. Number one, it's a secret place because we meet alone with God there. Now, you're thinking, are you going to tell me to have devotions and get alone with God and pray and meditate? Yes, I am. And I make no apology for it because that's not basic Christianity. That's all of Christianity. The secret place is the place where we get alone with God. Now, if you don't have a place where you get alone with God, if you haven't been alone with God today, you know what? It'd be better off if you got up and walked out and just did that now. You can listen to this online. But what happens in the secret place when you're alone with him can't happen any other place it's a secret place because it's a place where we get alone with God. You know, being alone is something that a lot of people avoid at all costs. There are some people that they don't like to be alone. Why? Because if they're alone, they have to deal with their thoughts. They have to deal with their issues. They have to deal with, you know, decisions that they've made. Come on tonight. Come on Wednesday night. You know, and they don't want to be alone. Some people like to be alone, maybe too much, but that's a whole other sermon. But You know, if you avoid being alone because you don't want to deal with life's issues or your decisions or or problems, that's a bad thing. You and I need to be alone with God. Well, if I get alone with God, he's going to put his finger on some certain things in my life. That's exactly right, and that's exactly why we need to be there. Some of us have things that are out of balance, out of order, out of whack, and we're hiding them, and we're hiding from God, and we don't want to be alone for him. We just do the Christian thing, and I'll go to church, and I'll hear the sermon, but I won't necessarily apply it to my life, you know, and I'll fellowship, but you know what? This alone thing with God. Listen, if we're not getting the alone thing with God, if we're not getting in the secret place, we are not growing in the Lord. The secret place is not a high-traffic area. Did you ever hear the term, threes a crowd? No, you never find out that three's a crowd until you're dating somebody and you want to be alone with them. Anybody remember dating? Anybody remember being in love? You're all looking at me like I'm talking Spanish here or something, I don't know. I remember when I started dating my wife in uh, Bible college and we were dating, you know, we, we didn't want other people around us. We didn't want other people jumping into the conversation. We wanted to get to know each other. Develop intimacy. Three's a crowd. When you're in the secret place, You need to be in a place where there's no phones. There's no screens. There's no distractions. And there's no other people. You say, well, I have children. There's no other place. Listen, give them Benadryl. Lock yourself in the bathroom. (laughs) Get alone with God. God will forgive you. Get alone with God. The secret place, the alone place, it's a secret Because it's a place where only you and God know about. I was kidding about the Benadryl. (laughs) Number two, why is it a secret place? Because it's the place where God reveals himself to those who seek him there. See, God is a mystery. God is an open book to those who seek him, but he's a mystery to those who don't. Feeling the energy Wednesday night. If you don't dig into him, He tells us not to cast our pearls before swine. How do you think God feels about the casual seeker or the one who never wants to be alone with him or the one that just, you know, wants a superficial relationship with God, one based on ritual or ceremony or sacraments? Splash me with this, read me this, let me recite that. I'll say amen and we're good. That's not what God is looking for. The secret place is a place where you're alone with God. The secret place is a place where God reveals himself. Listen to Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Listen to that. I love those that love me. God responds to us when we reach out to him in love, and he says, those who seek me sporadically. Did he say that? Those who seek me when they're in trouble. Those who seek me when they feel like it. Those who seek me diligently will find me. And that's what it's all about. But isn't that just us? When we're in trouble, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, when we need money, he's a banker. When we're sick, he's a doctor. We seek him, you know, when, when the calamities and the crises of life overwhelm us. And listen, of course, seek the Lord then. But also seek him diligently every single day. And get yourself in the secret place, amen. Because he wants to reveal himself to you there. Listen. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Isn't that beautiful? You will seek me and find me. Oh, that's a promise. When? When, Lord, when you search for me with all your heart. See, I can't afford to have my heart distracted. I can't afford to have my heart divided. I can't afford to be half in the world and, and half in the kingdom of God. I need to seek him with my whole heart. You need to seek him with your whole heart. You need to find the secret place and get alone with him. Why? Because he wants to reveal himself to you there. We have a whole generation that doesn't care about God or if he reveals himself or knowing anything about him. They're just immersing themselves in the distractions and the pleasures of this world, and they're stumbling towards the abyss of eternity without Christ. And it's a sad thing. But yet God invites us to seek him, and he says, if you do, if you do it with your heart, you're going to find me. Why is that? Because he wants to reveal himself to us. The secret treasures of God's nature, his attributes, his heart, are all revealed in the secret place. We have to search him out, and then we'll find him. Number three, the third reason it's called the secret place. Remember, we've got to decide where our dwelling is, and then we've got to develop intimacy in the secret place. The third reason the secret place is the secret place is this. It's a place that not many people know about. It's not a place where religious people go. It's not a place where people who don't believe go. It's not a place where distracted people go. It's not a place where casual Christians or the multitudes go. The secret place is not the wide road. It's the narrow road. And there are few that will find it. And so there are few that know about the secret place. The secret place is a secret because not a lot of people know about it. The multitudes are happily distracted by the bright lights and baubles of this world. I hope as a Christian who knows Jesus and is in a church where the gospel is preached and the Holy Spirit moves, I hope you're not so distracted by, you know, the things of the world and the bright lights and the, all of that stuff that, that you're forgetting to get in the secret place. Isn't it easy to get distracted by the world? I mean, most of us are ADD at this point. I don't know if it's watching TV or computers or what's done it to us. It's Probably all of that and more, but most of us have the attention span of like a housefly at this point. And God's saying, you know what, you've got to seek me, you've got to pursue me, you've got to come after me. And it's almost like we live in a world that's incapable of that. It really takes a miracle for God to captivate our hearts long enough to distract us from all of the things around us that want to steal our attention. But if we'll allow him to captivate us and draw us into intimacy with him and get in the secret place, you know what? We're going to be so blessed by what he reveals to us in the secret place that you know, even though nobody knows about it, we'll know about it and we'll frequent it. Matthew 23 uh, is a place where Jesus shows his brokenness over those who refuse to have a relationship with him. Look, Jesus doesn't want, you know, s- slaves and servants, and he wanted to take all our fun away and our money. You know, that's, that's what religion peddles. Jesus just wants to have a relationship with you and I. Listen to his heart here in Matthew 23, starting at 37. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the one who kills the prophets and stones those who were sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left in desolation. Because they wouldn't make their dwelling place God and allow God to gather them and and protect them and shelter him under the wings. Now their house, notice that their house is in desolation. Do you see that? If you choose the wrong dwelling place, that place ends up in desolation. But the house of God, the secret place, the place of intimacy, Jesus is saying, I've want, I wanted to gather you. I've longed to gather you. I just want to have a relationship with you. What an amazing God we serve. He wants nothing from us but relationship. So find a place to meet alone with God, without distraction and without interruption. Do it tomorrow. Plan it on the way home as you're driving. And wake up tomorrow and get yourself in a secret place. It could be in a closet. It could be in the basement. It could be in the attic. For me, it's in spots unknown in the wilderness. But listen, it's, it's got to be your place where you meet with God. Visit that place every day and build intimacy with Jesus there. Listen, in the end, you won't regret a single second that you've spent in the secret place but we will regret it if we never find and frequent such a place. Notice, it's the secret place of the Most High. Did you hear that? Now, because our God is the Most High, he offers us a kind of covering that no one else can provide. When you're at the top When you are unchallenged, unrivaled, when you are the most high, you have a vantage point and a position of authority that allows you to provide a covering that no one or nothing else can provide. And that's what our God provides because He is the most high. There's no one above Him, there's no one higher than Him, there's no one who can see something that He can't see. Come on, that's the God you serve. He's the most high. Because he's the most high, he offers us this perspective and this covering. And we're foolish not to take advantage of it. The most high sits above all things. He has a vantage point that allows him to see what's coming, and he protects us from it. You and I many times don't discern what's going on. Even those of us who are close to the Lord, there's times, even in what we've been through in the last year and change here, that you know you have to look at all the misinformation and confusing information and conflicting information, and sometimes you got to throw your hand up and go, "I don't know what's going on." Anybody? Just me? And, and you know It's okay. You need to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. We need to hear His voice. We need to have spiritual leaders that can hear God's voice. But there are moments when we can't see what's going on, and that's just because of the perspective from our vantage point. You know what we can't see? Because we're not high enough. When you're up in the air, think about all you can see when you're in a plane. You know, you, you fight that person for the window seat. You get the window seat. You look down. You see all the houses. You could see cars. You could see kids running around. We've flown over baseball fields. I see people strike out. You know, all kinds of, because you're up there. On the ground, you don't see any of that. It's a matter of height. It's a matter of perspective. And that's what God offers us. We don't have to know everything. We don't have to figure everything out. We don't have to have all the answers. We don't have to see what's coming so we could protect ourselves because he sees what's coming. And if we'll make him our dwelling and we'll develop intimacy with him and we'll allow him to be the most high in our life, that, that there's nothing in our life that's more important than him. He is the most important thing in our lives. You who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Uh, it continues here, shall abide, say abide. Shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Let's just talk about abiding a little bit. I have this picture in the theater of my mind about abiding under the shadow of something. When I read that verse as a young person, the Holy Spirit just etched this into my heart. I see a majestic eagle with its wings covering its young perched up on a high mountain peak in the crags of the rock. And I just see that eagle in all its majesty and all its strength and its protection just brooding over its children. And that's a picture I have in my heart of how the father covers me. And I want you to know that the father covers you in his majesty and his strength, and he protects you because he is the most high. But he wants you to abide in him so that he can bless you with everything he has for you. Abiding is a powerful concept here. We're going to talk about it a little bit. When I think of abiding in God and being close to him, I could almost feel myself tucked up against him in that nest, you know, tucked up to his breast. I could feel his heartbeat and, and I could feel the protection of his wings around me. What a, what a place of safety it is for, for us to live in such a place. The text makes it very clear that it's the practice of abiding that allows us to enjoy that safety and security. What does it mean to abide? Well, the natural definition of abide means this. It means to accept without objection, to acquiesce, a long-lasting and endurance. So abiding is, you know, accepting the, the rule of God in your life, the kingdom of God in your life, to acquiesce to the king and become a servant in his kingdom, to have a long lasting, enduring commitment to him. Now, the Greek word that's actually used in this text is mino, and it's, trans- it's translated into the English word abide. And mino means uh, to be present, remain, to endure, to stand, and to tarry. Now, what I want you to get the sense of there in that Greek word, mino, is that, you know, it's not about our performance. It's not about being the best. It's not about never faltering or failing. It's about being connected with the Lord and never walking away from him. It's about being present. It's about being committed. It's about being in the game, amen? You know, so many of us think, well, it's performance. And if we don't, you know, we don't measure up and we're not God's favorite and we don't do a good job and we don't win enough souls and we don't sing loud enough and on key during worship, 99% of it is just being there. Jesus said to the multitudes, Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. And the people said, Whoa, we're out. And they tapped out. We're out of here. And the multitudes dispersed. And what did Jesus do? He turned to his disciples and he said, Are you going to leave me too? And and I've said this before a lot of times because it's a powerful verse that sticks in my heart. Peter said, Lord, where else can we go? Who else has the words of life? You see, being committed to Christ in the way that constitutes abiding is being 100% sold out with no plan B. We have burnt all our bridges. We have no escape strategy. We have nowhere else to go. We don't want to be any place. We're saying, Lord, who else has the words of life but you? That's how abiding works. It's not performance-based. There again, it's just being committed to him. So if you and I, you know, and, and, you know, this is what we need in our relationships. This is what we need in our marriages. This is what we need, a commitment that, that says, you know, what, no, come hell or high water, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in this. I'm not walking away. Think about how easily people walk in and out of churches, out of, you know, relationships, out of jobs. I mean, this, this culture we live in, we're like pirates. There's no loyalty. I mean, loyalty is like a fantasy even in the church. People are not loyal. You could be there for everything. You could baptize them. You could marry them. You could counsel them. You could do everything for them, and they just leave and don't say goodbye. Ouch. Pastors are human, too. We, You know, I had most of my heart and feelings removed at Bible school, but I got a little left. You know, and this idea, you know, being loyal, being committed in our in our culture, it's just you know, it's not there. My grandfather had one job, worked there till he retired. They gave him a watch. They kissed him goodbye. Nowadays, you know, people in their careers, five, 10, 15 jobs, bounce around, try to survive. The culture's different. But yet what the Lord requires of us is not different. He requires us to abide. That, you know, we abide under the shadow of the Almighty. It's that, that shadow where he's protecting us, like that eagle I spoke of. But the abiding is what allows us to reap the benefits of that, to abide, me know, to be present, to remain, to stand, to endure, to tarry. Lord, I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to endure whatever comes. I'm going to tarry. I'm going to wait on you, Lord. I'm not going to make my own provision. I'm going to be present and in the game and part of the kingdom until you take me. That's abiding. It should encourage us to know that when we're connected to God, and we're right with him, and we're in the center of his perfect will, and we're doing our very best to please him, that we really become untouchable to the enemy. Oh, pastor, I'm afraid of the devil. I'm afraid of the antichrist. I'm afraid of the mark of the beast. I'm afraid. Get right with God. Perfect love casts out all fear. Amen. When I'm afraid, it's because I don't understand the love of God and because I don't love him completely. This is what I'm finding out. See, because perfect love casts out all fear. If I would just re- release uh, you know, my anxiety and my worries and all that stuff and just rest in the perfect love, what does that mean? I know he's going to take care of me. I know he's going to provide for me. I know he's going to protect me under the shadow of his wings if I abide in him, if I create intimacy with him, if I get in a secret place and let him reveal himself to me. We become untouchable to the enemy when we're right with God, when we're in the center of his will, when we're abiding in him. There's nothing that the enemy can do. Jesus said, I didn't lose one that you put in my hand. Jesus put it this way in John 15, 1 through 8, and I close with this. I am the vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch can not bear fruit itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. And without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they are gathered and thrown into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The mark of a disciple is that we're connected and we abide. And as long as we do, we'll produce fruit. And as long as we do, we'll be safe. Stay close to him. Abide in him. Dwell in the secret place. Develop intimacy with him. And watch the promise and the protection of God visit your life in such a supernatural way that it'll bless you every day. Bow your heads for just a second. And I just want you to close your eyes and I'm going to just read that verse that we covered tonight. And I want you to let it soak into your heart and seal what, what the Holy Spirit has brought. He who dwells, in the secret place of the Most High, will abide under the shadow of the Almighty. Father, we thank you for Psalm 91. We thank you for this one powerful verse that kicks it off. And we, we pray, Lord, as we study this, you will just assure us of your protection, especially in an hour like this, where your people need to hear your voice and the church needs to be the church. Father, teach us what an amazing covering we have. By your word, through Jesus, in Psalm 91, we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Give him praise tonight.